This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And the Oscar goes to. Oh, thank you so much. This might be the one time I'm speaking. This is not a joke. Moonlight is one best picture. Could you double check the envelope? And I can't deny the fact that you like me. Thank you, life. Thank you, love. You guys are just standing up because you feel bad that I fell, and that's really embarrassing, but thank you. This is nuts. It's a tie. I'm the king of the world. And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... My only object in being here is to try and get out of the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? Welcome to the Next Best Picture podcast. Oscar goes to... Okay, Coda. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 308 of the Next Best Picture podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia. Time recording is 11.03 a.m. on August 21st, 2022. Here to join me today for this episode, I have Nadia Dalamonte. Hi everyone. Emma Sasek. Hello, hello. And Josh Parm. Hello, hello. All right, so we have some various uh, different topics to talk about this week with regards to the upcoming fall film festivals. We're going to go over the polls. We'll talk about the trailer for the greatest beer run ever. And to finally put an end to our 2012 retrospective, we are going to announce the winners of the 2012 MVP Film Awards voted on by the team over here at Next Best Picture. For the Community Award winners, we did that last week, so if you missed that, by all means, feel free to take a listen to last week's show, or you can head on over to the community awards page on nextbestpicture.com and see the winners there. But I'm very curious to know what we did ultimately. Well, actually, no, that's a lie. I know what we did. No. Yeah. <laughs> We're very curious. We are curious. <laughs> all right. So before we get into all of that, though, I want to know what everybody's been watching either at home or in the movie theater this week. So why don't we first start off with Nadia? So I've had a pretty good week. I checked out the 2021 film Boiling Point. Yes, you did. Let me guess. You were inspired by the bear. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted more anxiety in my life, Matt. <laughs> well, that'll do it. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. Uh, Stephen Graham, he stars as a, as a head chef who's putting out personal and professional fires at a London restaurant. And I was going to say, if you like FX as the bear, I think you'll really appreciate this film and just the way it's structured around a kitchen team's shared experiences and personal crises in one setting makes for a really compelling story. 
I was really impressed by how the film unfolds in one take that, I mean, I'm still thinking about the way they achieved that, which I think really adds to the anxiety and the continuously escalating stakes of the story. And I, I love the way it managed to capture so many different plot points in a way that felt really natural. And between all the character dynamics as well, the entire ensemble felt so lived in. Everyone in the cast gave excellent performances. So I really highly recommend checking out Boiling Point. I also caught up with Orphan First Kill, which, I mean, this year has been really fun for horror, I will say. And I think as a prequel, it felt like it didn't really need to exist and didn't seem like it would work. But having said that, it sort of does, because I think Without giving anything away, of course, it, I think it fully leans into the ridiculousness of the story. It's so bonkers, and <laughs> I found it to be far better than I expected it to be, partly because I think it takes a lot of unexpected turns in the story that kept things fairly interesting. There are places where I did not think the story would go, and which made things more fun to watch. and. Just going back to the 2009 film, thinking about that, it did set a bar that this film doesn't quite reach. But Isabel Furman, she's back as Esther, and she really is the reason to check out Orphan First Kill. She carries the film on her shoulders. I was also really impressed by the way, years later, she kind of steps back into this role without really missing a beat. So overall, it was a really fun, fun watch and fun horror piece. I also rewatched Top Gun Maverick. Which uh, which number does this make for you at this point? This is actually only number two. Oh, okay. Here I'm thinking this is like viewing number seven or something. <laughs> no, I just I feel like it's it made such an imprint on me that I feel like it's just been in my veins for the past couple of months. But uh, no, it's just only the second rewatch, and I mean this. I just love the entire buzz that this film radiates. The emotional swell of the last 20 minutes, it just hit me all over again. The moment Lady Gaga's Hold My Hand vocals kick in, my heart just skipped a beat. And I think particularly upon rewatching it, it just kind of hit me all over again, just how much of a miracle this film feels in terms of scale, in terms of entertainment, action sequences, and the way it builds onto the original in every way conceivable. So, I mean, I don't have much more to add than what's already been said over the past couple of months, other than what an exhilarating experience all over again. And I'm sure I'll rewatch it again uh, shortly. Um, so that was a really fun experience as well. And I also caught up with um, a 1996 film. It's a really, really great gem. It's called Big Night. It's directed by Stanley Tucci and Campbell Scott. And if you're a foodie, I think you'll really, really love this really this comforting film. It's about two Italian brothers, Primo and Secondo, who own a restaurant in New York, and they're on the verge of losing it all. So they host a really grand dinner party with friends and acquaintances in the hopes of sustaining a group of patrons who will keep their restaurants afloat. And it's a really great, sweet story about brotherhood and loyalty and dreams and family and there's a really really vivid love for food expressed throughout the film which I think is partly to do with Stanley Tucci's involvement this feels like a really big passion project for him with his love for food personally as well and 
this the film has a really really great sequence with an incredible looking Italian feast that you just wish you could be one of the guests enjoying that meal. It's a great film overall. Great cast, great cast with Stanley Tucci and Tony Shalhoub as the two brothers. As well, there's Isabella Rossellini, Minnie Driver, Allison Janney, Ian Holm. So it's a great supporting cast as well, and um, overall a great film that I think everybody should check out. It's available on Amazon Prime. Sounds scrumptious. It's delicious. <laughs> and, All right. Yeah. Oh, more. Oh, just one more. So beyond that, uh, I started watching A League of Their Own on Amazon Prime as well. And I'm just one episode in, but it's really, really enjoyable so far. And I can't wait to see how that story plays out. Amazing. Awesome. Okay, Emma Sasek, we're up to you. I also had a very interesting mix of movies over the last few days. Um, I started the week off with a rewatch of Mulholland Drive, and that was a <gasps> very good decision because, man, that movie still slaps so hard. <laughs> that is one of my all-time favorites. Yes, it is one of my favorites as well. And I actually... I felt like I was watching it for the first time again because, to be quite honest, I forgot a lot of scenes and uh, details, especially in the, I guess I would say, the first half of the film before, you know, everything kind of, quote unquote, changes a little bit. Um, and so just as I was watching it, I was like, ah, uh, am I like, am I remembering this film correctly at all? Like, what is going on? But then once that second half kicked in, I was like, wow, this guy just got everything perfectly like aligned in this film. And there's so much drama and mystery, but it all comes together so well to make such a cohesive whole, even if you might have to do some mental gymnastics here and there <laughs> to tie some things together. But truly a wonderful film. I hope people have gotten a chance to see it in the 20 plus years since it has come out. But if you haven't, take this as your sign to finally watch Mulholland Drive. There's a great uh, 4K restoration available through Criterion Collection for it that I recommend people check out. Uh, also, too, a little side note, it has one of my favorite line readings of all time by Justin Darrow during the this is the girl scene where he goes, there's no way, there's no way. <laughs> Always cracks me up every single time. Uh, this is the girl. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did buy, I actually bought uh, the Criterion DVD. I do not have a 4K Blu-ray mm. player, unfortunately, Matt, but with your generous gift, this was one of the films that I was able to purchase along with The Worst Person in the World. So that is quite a double feature. Yay! <laughs> uh, then I watched Bodies, 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 finally. Um, despite all of the controversy the last few days regarding uh, Critic and Amandala um, on private social media DMs, which is just... That's just a whole different conversation to be had. But I thought the movie was pretty fun and, and a fun messy, too. I mean, this is, uh, I think, actually, Zoe Rose Bryan, she wrote the review for us. And I thought she put it very well that this is like a perfect representation for uh, Gen Z and their craziness and love of social media and everything. So I thought that she nailed it very much well with that. Um, I actually wish that there were more 
messy, unhinged, unhinged moments with this group of characters to really drive home how awful I think they all are and how much I would rather, honestly, how much I would rather be stabbed like and die and bleed out rather than spending much more time with these people. Um, but it, it is a pretty fun movie that keeps you guessing up until the end. And Rachel Sennett is just hilarious in everything that I see her in. She nails comedic timing and facial expressions and everything like that. So very fun movie. Uh, I also saw Beast with Aegis Elba. And um, I don't know. I, I really did enjoy some long takes in this film because I felt like they added a lot more suspense to suspenseful moments. But honestly, if... For example, those uh, if those choices were not made, I just kind of feel like the movie would be very flat for me. Um, I don't know. I just wasn't very captivated by the story. There wasn't really a whole lot to the story itself, aside from the whole uh, action and terrifying animal sequences here. But um, Idris Elba, what a man. What a good-looking man to be stuck in the middle of a lion's terrain with, in my opinion. I think Josh and I summed up pretty well up on our uh, podcast review where we said this will forever be known as the movie where Idris Elba punches a bear, uh, not a bear, a lion yeah. in the face. And that's what we came to see the movie for. If That's what you get. Mm-hmm. Simple, easy, no higher expectations needed. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I needed any more of a story, to be honest here, but I don't know. The story that I was given, I was just kind of like, okay. Uh, he did also, aside from punching a lion, he did lick his lips a, quite a few times, and I, <laughs> I felt my heart skip a few beats in those moments. <laughs> you know, he's recently widowed in that movie, Emma. So, I mean, there is a chance there. Okay. He's a doctor too. Oh man. Ah, uh, seriously, the perfect man. <laughs> and then I finished it off with Mac and Rita because it 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 was filmed a little bit in Palm Springs and got to support a Palm Springs film um and uh, i did not really care for that film i kind of wondered how diane keaton how much she was paid to be in this film because i wouldn't have really wasted my time but for let this be a warning to everybody who comes to palm springs uh for bachelorette weekends and parties because we get them all the time if you come here you will age about 40 years from your current <laughs> self. So if you don't want that to happen, do not come here. <laughs> All right, Josh Parham. So I did manage to catch up with quite a good number of things throughout the week. Um, as you mentioned, Matt, we did talk about Beast. Uh, and our opinion was basically, it's fine, you know, passively entertaining, nothing great. But, you know, you know what you're going to get with that movie. And it does the job well enough for sure. Uh, I also did see Orphan First Kill and basically agree with everything that Nadia said. That movie is much better than I thought it was going to be. It's not as good as the first movie, but I think it understands that knowing that you already know what the first movie was about, it can't really do that again. And so it does find some interesting ways to keep it inventive. And I would say also Julia Stiles was another element that was really good in that movie. So I would... Definitely recommend people checking it out because I think it is better than you think it is going into it. Um, I also got to see a love song. I caught up with that one finally. And oh, it's very good. I mean, it's a very 
you know, grounded character study that I tend to really like those types of types of movies, but you know, nothing with too big ambitions, but Dale Dickey is just so good in this movie. It's just such a wonderful performance and it's great to see her in the lead. And West duty is also really good too, but if you're going to see it, I would say really do it for Dale Dickey. Cause it's really a great performance that I would love for more people to see. Cause she's just fantastic in it. Agreed. I'm, I'm also excited to see more from that filmmaker, too, in the future. Yeah, yeah. Very, like I said, quiet character study, nothing too ambitious, but very, very well done still with a great performance in the center. Uh, I remember last week, Tom mentioned a movie called Inuo, this new Japanese animated film, and his description yes. of it really made it seem like I needed to go see it. So I caught up with that throughout the week, too. And... I think with this movie, it's a little rough in the beginning because the story is like all over the place and it's kind of hard to really figure out what's going on and who wants what. And that is a little frustrating. But I think at a certain point, that movie just really gives into its very outlandish premise because the second half is basically all a electric rock musical set in 14th century Japan. And, <laughs> you know, at that point I was like, all right, I'm, I'm sort of with this movie overall. So it, it, like I said, it's very messy, but I very much appreciated the kind of crazy tone that it was going for. And I ended up liking it in the end. So I would definitely recommend that one just for its ambition in the storytelling, particularly in the second half. Kind of reminded me a little bit of last year's Bell in that regard. A little bit. Where yeah. that movie, too, was also like dealing with a lot of lofty ambitions and various tones. And you didn't really know exactly where it was all going, but it somehow came together in the end. Yeah, definitely. It's sort of choppy waters in the beginning, but I, I do feel like it finds a way to tie everything together at the end really well. Um, since we were wrapping up our 2012 retrospective, there were some movies that I did want to catch up with that I actually had not seen that we ourselves had nominated. So I did see two of our international feature nominees, which were A Royal Affair and uh, Oslo August 31st. I'd never seen either of those movies, and they were both good. Uh, I liked Oslo a little bit more just because it's more of my speed and plus you get this. I kind of figured. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, between those two movies, that one is more of my film. A Royal Vera is still good, but it, it was just more traditional costume drama for me. Whereas Oslo, August 31st, it, you know, day in the life character study, you know, Anders Danielson Lee is the lead. <laughs> Everything that I want out of a movie. So I very much enjoyed catching up with, with those for sure. I mean, a Royal Affair. I mean, it's so funny because I remember the first time I saw it, I didn't really like think much of it at the time. But then I think that as the years went on and just Mads Mikkelsen became just so notorious uh, within the industry, I then revisited it later with like that in mind of just where his uh, career was and his stature. And I think I just like paid attention to it maybe just a little bit more on the second viewing. And I really, really enjoyed it so much more this time around. So I'm raising my hand right now. I, I had a hand in voting for that for our nominations this year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a good movie. Like I said, it was just a little bit more traditional leaning for my taste, but I would still recommend it. It's good. It's just the other movie I saw I thought was just better, but that's more designed for me see now that one i haven't seen but that has a lot of passionate enthusiastic responses from people on our team and given you know like you said anders danielson lee who 
uh, I just want to see more from him. So exactly. I'm going to definitely make time for this one at some point. Yeah. And it's like, I think it's just over like 90 minutes. It's pretty short, too. So not a huge commitment. It was very good. I, I'm glad that I got to catch up with that one. Uh, and then outside of like new stuff, I have just been rewatching some some things here or there. But the one that I would mention is that I did have an opportunity to see the movie Parting Glances in theaters on 35 millimeter, Ooh. which was really nice. And if you haven't seen it, it's a 1980s movie about this gay couple and one of them is going away for this business trip. And there's obviously like some tension there that erupts throughout the day. But what's it what it is most noted for is that it's a very early role featuring Steve Buscemi, who is really good in this movie. It's a really great performance from him. And also the movie's just very well written. I hadn't seen it in a very long time. And I forgot how funny it is and how actually moving and genuinely touching it is at certain points. And I I really do like that movie. And I was so glad to see it in a theater on film. That was a really great experience. So if you haven't seen it, very much would recommend checking it out because it's a very, very good movie. This is just a reminder also to support your local art house cinemas that are showing films, uh, you know, that are a bit older, but uh, are showing them on film. Like you said, 35 millimeter. Uh, Those places could definitely use your support. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, And then for myself this week, uh, pretty light overall. Uh, Saw Beast, which we did a podcast review of. So you can listen to my full thoughts on that. Um, I saw a movie that premiered at Cannes called The Silent Twins. Uh, this one here is from director Agnieszka Smotsiniska. I, I, I don't think I'm sp- saying that right, but she did The Lure a few years ago, which I was a big fan of. And this stars uh, Letitia Wright and Tamara Lawrence. And I got to admit, like, it's super, super intriguing intro to this movie because there's stop motion animation. The opening credits are probably going to be some of the most memorable I will see all year. Uh, it has a very hypnotic tone to the way that it is shot, the music, uh, both the score and the songs. And the performances from Letitia Wright and Tamara Lawrence are also pretty good. However, the screenplay, I just thought the movie was too emotionally hollow to get us to care about the true story behind these two uh, twins. And I don't want to reveal too much about it necessarily, but... In the end, it was a letdown for me overall, despite all these uh, very singular, unique elements that were all coming together to present something that I thought would really be something special. But unfortunately, it just didn't hook me the way that I wanted to. So can't really fully recommend it, but at the same time, maybe worth checking out just to see, you know, some very distinctive filmmaking that... I, I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, this is the type of stuff that we'll be, uh, obviously continue to see more of from studios like Focus Features and such in the future, because more and more as like time goes on, I'm always worried that like projects like this are just like not getting greenlit. But hopefully uh, that continues. OK, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Oh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
Uh, let's move over into some of the major talking points, though. Uh, we have a, quite a few things to discuss here. I want to first start off with the uh, spotlight section for New York Film Festival. Uh, so in addition to the main slate, we now know that uh, certain films from other festivals will be coming over to New York. Things like Bones and All from Luca Guadagnino. Uh, we already know from a few weeks ago that Till will be making its world premiere at New York as well. Uh, but I think the big eyebrow raiser here was, she said, world premiere at the New York Film Festival. Maria Schrader's new film starring Zoe Gassan and uh, Carrie Mulligan. So what do we all think of that film making its bow over at New York? Do you guys still see it as a potential Oscar player? Or do we think that there's something else maybe going on here with it, that it's only going to New York in the spotlight section and not in the main slate? I mean, you know, what's everyone's read on it right now? Well, I think we all figured that it would show up at New York because, you know, it's about the New York Times. It feels rather appropriate <laughs> for it to show up there. And you know that they have to probably be there for a Q&A or something, I'm sure. Oh, oh yeah, I'm sure. Um, I still think this movie is going to be a player. I, I don't know to what extent. I am still a little skeptical just of the movie in general. You know, I have faith in the people that are involved, but, you know, just... The execution, I still am waiting to see how it's really going to be. But I think that the subject matter is still going to mean uh, there's interest in it and it's going to have eyes on it and there's still going to be buzz. But I don't know how far that will go once the movie finally comes out. Uh, Then on top of that, we also got the schedule for Venice, which only confirmed some things that we already know that Tar, Bones and All, and Bardo will be making the move over from Venice over to Telluride, given that they have enough time in the schedule to do so. But there were some other things, too, that also jumped out at me. Uh, For example, the documentary from Laura Poitras uh, that's also going to premiere at New York, um, All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, It looks like that, too, is going to be going possibly over to Telluride from Venice, which means that as of right now, this documentary, this film, is the only one of all of these titles that we've been discussing over the last couple of weeks that's going to all four of the major fall film festivals. And it just got picked up, too, didn't it? Yep, Neon. Yeah. And they've got a very impressive documentary slate already this year, so I'm curious to see you know, which one ends up emerging as their major contender. But I mean, the way that this one's being propped up right now, I I would say that this is probably like the film to beat at the moment. Just on the festival pedigree, for sure. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, no one's seen it yet, obviously. But I mean, you consider that Laura Poitras, you know, directed Citizen Four, which won the Oscar. And then the fact that this has a gala spot in New York and is going to all four of these festivals. Like I said, the only film, not Tar, not Bardo, not anything, you know, this documentary Telluride, TIFF, Venice, New York. I mean, I, I think we have to take it very seriously. Yeah, just uh, based on our last uh, last Sunday's main show discussion, we had mentioned what the chances might be for this documentary. And with each growing week, it seems like the chances are getting stronger for it to really lead the way in that category. Plus, I think with the opioid subject matter, which I think you mentioned, Matt, last week, with Dope Sick being out as well and the success of that show, I think the subject matter as well is really hitting hard right now. And I think a lot of eyes will be on this one. Another thing that also stood out to me, Living, which we know is screening again at Venice. It premiered earlier this year at Sundance. It looks like it's premiering early enough at 
Venice that it too could possibly make its way over to Telluride as well. And if that's so, man, what a campaigning strategy by Sony Pictures Classics to take a movie that premiered earlier this year at Sundance and then find a way to almost treat it, though, as if like this is the world premiere at Venice and then just kind of having like a second launch almost for this movie. I think it's a really brilliant way to get you know, more eyeballs on this and possibly catapult Bill Nighy into the best actor race. I mean, did you guys see the teaser for it as well? Mm. I actually had a chance to see it at Sundance earlier this Same. year. Same, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I, I'm excited to revisit it because, um, you know, as we all know with Sundance, especially when it's at home, you get to just stack up your schedule with however many films you want and catch up with things. So I don't feel like I watch this film um, with the best set of eyes and uh, sleep patterns. So it'll be nice to see it again, fully rested and ready to take it all in. But Bill was wonderful as he honestly usually is in most of his films. Yeah, no, I think it's very moving and very artfully well done. And as someone, too, who really loves Akira Kurosawa's Akiru, I was very nervous about this movie at Sundance, but I think it's a very worthy film as far as just a remake goes. Of course, it's not as great, but I don't think it embarrassed itself either by being compared to that masterclass of a film. And we have to just pay attention to it because it's Sony Pictures classics. Like I will forever never underestimate them again. The father taught, no. taught me, no, I will never underestimate them ever, ever again. Whenever you see their logo come up, you're like, all right, I'm in for a treat today. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, also getting Penelope Cruz that nom last year for P- Parallel Mothers. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, by all accounts, you remember that last late minute surge? Who knows how close she was to winning the category? Yeah, I mean, they know what they're doing over there, and they know what they're doing in a way that I think sometimes film Twitter gets annoyed at and doesn't think they're doing anything, but they have a plan for sure, and they work very, very well at it. Also, too, just want to say the Toronto International Film Festival announced uh, various uh, selections for their docs programming, as well as Discovery and Contemporary World Cinema. So, Nadia, I imagine you probably had a close eye on this because you'll be in at TIFF with myself, Dan Baer. Uh, was there anything uh, just announced as far as docs or world cinema that like jumped out at you? Or I am definitely looking forward to the festival this year just by way of it seems like it's back bigger than ever after two years of, um, you know, hybrid and a mix of hybrid and personal. This year feels like they're really fully coming back with the selections all the beauty in the bloodshed I see here, which we yep. mentioned earlier, which I'm very, very excited about, just by way of neon picking it and all the buzz that seems to be surrounding it. I mean, I'll, I'll say that, you know, just in terms of some films that premiered uh, elsewhere at Cannes and then are coming to like New York, but making a stop at TIFF, uh, you have EO uh, from Jersey, Skolomowski, uh, which is that movie about the donkey that I'm sure you all have heard about <laughs> in some really excellent cinematography. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm very much looking forward to that. And then After Sun from Charlotte Wells is going to be having its North American premiere at TIFF, which immediately made me sad because I suddenly realized that that means it's not going to tell you right now. So just based on the response from Cannes for that yeah. film. And ever since Luke was on the show all that time ago talking about it, uh, it just really sold me. Again, I'm a sucker for father-daughter story- stories on screen. So I'm really, really looking forward to that one. 
just from all the buzz that's been accumulating around and I'm really excited to see how that plays and with an audience as well. Sure, sure. And then, of course, I'm also looking forward to Christian Mungu's uh, new film, RMN, which had its world premiere at Cannes as well. I think that he's a very, very gifted filmmaker. And anytime that he comes out with a new movie, I'm always really curious to see how that will play. Also curious about uh, Wildflower as well, mm-hmm. which I believe is with, oh gosh, her name is escaping me from from Mad Men. Christina Hendricks? The daughter Oh, the girl who uh, the girl who plays Sabrina, the teenage witch, right? Yes, yeah, Sabrina. And um, I can't Kiernan Shipka. Kiernan Shipka, thank you. <laughs> that I'm a bit curious about as well. I mean, it's always just exciting. Like this is the time of year where we're just so uh, amped up to see all these new movies, and for this new phase or really like the first phase of the award season really to just kind of kick into high gear. Yeah. I know that a lot of people, you know, just in terms of industry terms, phase one is considered pre-nominations. Phase two is considered post-nominations. I use different terms, uh, you know, just whenever we have our main discussion here to me, phase one is this period, the fall film festivals, but I just call it the fall film festival phase. And then there's the Critics Awards phase. And then there's obviously then the nominations and post nominations. So, like, I kind of break it up like that. Like, to me, the minute Venice hits, that is the official kickstart to the award season. And it just continues on from there, from September all the way until the end. So, like Josh said, so many world premieres, so many new films to choose from uh, in terms of like what to prioritize. The TIFF schedule is going out this week. I have a ton of anxiety about it, <laughs> but <laughs> it should be a lot of fun regardless. Yeah, also just beyond that, just thinking about all the films that we have on our radar and that we're looking forward to, I'm also really excited to see a film that just completely comes out of nowhere and just blows me away which I feel like happens every year in some capacity. So I'm, I'm excited about that possibility as well to see a film that maybe I'm not thinking about that just kind of comes up and just, you know, amazes me in that way. Considering that right now there are three pretty big world premieres scheduled for Telluride with Empire of Light, Women Talking, and The Wonder, I am very curious if there is something else that's going to world premiere there that's going to just, like, explode I've been thinking it could be something like, spoiler alert, the hero dies, maybe. Uh, But then again, I'm also wondering, is it possible that Damien Chazelle's Babylon decides to go to Telluride and skip all the others? I don't know. It might be too big for that festival, honestly. Uh, But, you know, last year we saw movies like King Richard and Cyrano go to Telluride and then not go anywhere else. So who knows? I mean, maybe we're in for another 2016 where... Moonlight, to your point, Nadia, just kind of came out of nowhere. So, I don't know. And that's actually pretty exciting, I think. Yeah, I, I actually have a feeling about Babylon, now that you mention it. I hope so. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Uh, one other piece of uh, news I want to mention here really quick. Uh, you guys know who Bill Kramer is? Uh, the Who is he with the Academy now? He's the new CEO. The CEO, that was it, yeah. Yeah, he gave an interview this past week in The Hollywood Reporter. You know what he said? Some encouraging news. Uh, He says something to the effect of, we need to produce an Oscar show that celebrates the collaborative work of the industry, indicating 
that last year's bullshit, terrible, absolutely poorly, poorly received decision to have the technical categories, craft categories, whatever you want to call them, not presented live and then edited into the show, hopefully will not be repeated this year. We can only hope. (laughs) Remember, the whole purpose of that decision was to save time, and the show still ended up being like three and a half hours anyway. So The the show was longer than the previous year, which like had all the categories. It's, oh, God. I really do believe that last year's Oscars was possibly the worst show that the Oscars have ever put on since I've been watching. Just in terms of like presentation or... Yes, I, just in terms of how they executed the presentation of that show, I think in the time that I have been watching the Oscars, I don't think it has ever been worse than that. I was just going to say, like, for a show that allegedly celebrates films and filmmaking and achievements in cinema, yeah, I really didn't get that feel and vibe from them. It, there just wasn't, like, there wasn't any fun, like how the shows used to have fun in terms of, I don't know, just doing very creative bits or sketches or showing videos and just even like showing the films themselves in terms of like, I don't know, like a huge montage of them. I just felt it just felt very lackluster. And then, of course, editing out people's speeches and cutting it down to like, here's 10 seconds of this person talking about winning an Oscar that just was very disrespectful to those people. And so I, I am very hopeful that this is more and more encouraging shows are to come. Yeah. I mean, I think back on last year's show a lot and how it just felt so blatant that it wasn't about celebrating the films that were nominated. They instead came off like they were ashamed of the films that were nominated and they did everything in their power to divert attention away from those movies and towards other aspects. And the whole Will Smith, Chris Rock thing on top of that, you know, it's funny because on one hand, that's incredibly shameful and a disgrace that will forever follow the Academy that that was allowed to even occur. However, on the positive side of things, kind of like the La La Land Moonlight fiasco from a few years prior, it's the kind of like live TV buzzed about moment that could hopefully help people to tune in this year with that idea of, oh, you never know what's going to happen, live TV sort of mentality. I think that if they focus on the movies themselves and highlighting uh, the year in film for the movies that are nominated, not the movies that were not nominated, I don't even care if they keep the whole Oscars fan favorite thing, because to me, that was such a small part of the show. I really didn't care. But I think if they just kind of pivot their focus, respect the categories, present them all live, I really do believe that they can produce a good show again. I do. Oh, for for sure. And I think people will tune in for it. Yeah, it just, I would just prefer it to be people who actually, you know, care about the show that they're putting on. And that was the big problem I had with the most recent one was it just felt like nobody had any interest in actually what the Oscars are supposed to be about. And it isn't like just treating the artists with disrespect and doing it this poorly executed show, but it was also like you took time away from the aspects that we like about this show to focus on this other stuff that then felt so lazy and half-assed. It's like if you 
took away the stuff that we actually liked about it and then didn't even put in the effort to make the other stuff good. And that is why just altogether it was just so terrible. And I'm hoping that for next year, maybe some of those lessons can be learned and priorities can be shifted again. It's like that whole Godfather tribute thing and Robert De Niro is up there and it's like, De Niro wasn't even in the first Godfather film. What are we doing here? <laughs> no. That, and then, like, the Bond tribute was terrible, too. And even their presentation of the fan favorite thing, like, oh, they God. just introduced it with no fanfare at all. Like, it just, like, pre uh, presenters walked off stage and then suddenly a stream comes down and we're doing a countdown. And it's like, what? what are we doing? It's so bad. It was yeah. just going through the motions, but, like smooth brain no one's home type of thing where it's like there's just no thought put into anything and no one's acknowledging anything about what's happening i mean to be quite honest anything that happened after the chris rock and will smith moment i don't even remember that show at that point because i was so distracted and just so in like awe of wait what just happened yeah but anyway all right why don't we do this? Why don't we head on over to the polls now? We'll talk about a trailer, and then we will announce the winners for the 2012 MVP Film Awards. So last week's poll for the New York Film Festival, we asked everyone which movie are you most looking forward to seeing at that festival. So all titles uh, were eligible for this poll. After the spotlight section was announced, I even added uh, She Said over to the poll as well. Uh, so based on the films that are playing at New York this year, uh, I, I know that I'm kind of not talking to the right crowd because I don't expect either one of you to make the trip over to New York to see any of these movies. But of the movies that are playing, what are you most looking forward to seeing? I pass it off first to Josh Parm. Yeah, there are, there's quite a few number here that I would love to see. Um, I mean, Decision to Leave was probably my most anticipated film of the year just overall. Um, but... I also really want to see the inspection that that really popped up on my radar. And it's like, man, I I hadn't heard about it since they when they announced it and looking more into it. It's like, man, I, I really do want to see that one now. Well, it's interesting, too, because I would never have expected that to be a gala film. That's going to be the closing night film for NYFF. And, you know, their stance on it is they want to use that platform to elevate a new filmmaker instead of highlighting uh, a favorite of the festival like they usually do with those three slots. So I really, really like that, that that's the stance that they're taking this year with that film. You know, I, I would have imagined that something like Tar would have gotten the gala slot. I mean, Tar is still part of the main slate, don't get me wrong, but mm -hmm. I am really enjoying the fact that the inspection is receiving kind of like this pre-boost already and no one's even seen it yet. It will have its world premiere at TIFF first. So hopefully the buzz is good enough, and then at NYFF it'll just attract more eyeballs as a result of that. I am very much looking forward especially to uh, Jeremy Pope's performance in it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, all right, Emma Sasek, how about you? Well, I will have you know that I may or may not have filled out a press inquiry form for the New York Film what? Festival. What? Just to see if what happens. We'll see what <gasps> happens. <laughs> but... Um, there are quite a lot of films here that are very uh, that sound very interesting to me. I've heard really lovely things about After Sun um, that a few of our colleagues at NBP have seen and have really enjoyed themselves. Um, Decision to Leave, just like Josh, also something that I've been looking forward to. But I think my girl, Kate Blanchett, always pulls me in. So I am very excited to see what she does with Tar, the whole 
that teaser trailer that we got a few weeks ago was just kind of enough for me to say, okay, I'm I'm in it. I'm ready to see what's here. Supposedly, we're getting a full-length trailer this week, too. Ah, yay. Um, and then the one of the con winners, if not the Palm d'Or winner of this year, was it a Triangle of Sadness? Is yes, right? it most certainly was. There it was. Yeah, so very excited to see those two films uh, among all of these. And uh, I think she said, too, I mean, as a reporter myself, I kind of always, always gear myself toward the reporting films and journalism stories. So it'll be interesting to see the story play out and just see if they can capture what a real journalist's life is like. <laughs> Nadia, are you two going to surprise me by saying that you filled out an NYFF application? <laughs> I wish that I had. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that I know that After Sun is part of the TIFF Contemporary World Cinema Program, I am going to go with the film that I really wish I could fly to New York and see, which is Todd Field's Tar. And I echo the sentiments that Emma just said about Kate Blanchett. She, in my books, has never missed. And I'm just so excited by that collaboration in particular with her and Todd Field. The teaser really grabbed my attention and I think had a similar effect to the little children, what the little children trailer did for me, this teaser is doing in the way that it doesn't really give anything away, but there's something about it that just pulls you in. So I'm just so excited to see that. I'm curbing my expectations a bit for it, but don't want to get my hopes too high. But given the talent involved, it's hard not to just be swept away by that. So I'm so excited to see that. And also, Descendants, which I'm hearing really, really good things about. Yes, that's one of the best docs of the year, for sure. I'm really interested to see that, as well as Corsage with Vicky Creeps. All right. Awesome. Uh, I have to shout out, because I think that, yeah, I think this is the only other place I'll be able to get a chance to see it after it premieres at Venice. Master Gardener from Paul Schrader. I say this because even though I wasn't the biggest fan of the card counter, I'm really, really enjoying this style and like what he's bringing to both First Reform, that film. And if it continues here, I'm very much interested in seeing what Joel Edgerton does uh, with the protagonist of this movie. He plays a horticulturalist uh, who uh, has a very dark past. We'll just leave it at that for now. So curious to see how that plays. Uh, Triangle of Sadness. I need to see this with a large crowd. I'm dying to see it with a large crowd. I might even see it multiple times. I don't know, <laughs> depending on how entertaining it is. Uh, but I can't wait to watch that. Uh, and, you know, there's a part of me that also has just a bit of like like the right level of excitement and skepticism at the same time for Armageddon time. So I'm curious to see how that will play uh, at the New York crowd with the New York crowd. And then last but not least, uh, I think Danielle Deadweiler is going to absolutely chew up every moment of scream time that she has until. And I cannot wait to see that performance from her. All right. So let's see what the MVP film community did here. Top 10 films they are most looking forward to seeing at the 2022 New York Film Festival. And number 10, it is Paul Schrader's Master Gardener. Wow. It's nice that made the top 10. You know what it is, Josh? Love it or hate them, those Facebook posts, they sure do get that man a lot of publicity. <laughs> they certainly do. There was also another great story this week where 
the like I think there was like a top ten list of the movies from the nineties going around and they asked a bunch of people and he was one and he put affliction on that list. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just king behavior right there. <laughs> Number nine. People really love that donkey. EO. EO. Mm. Number eight is Till. Number seven, Armageddon Time. All right. Number six, late last minute edition. I added it to the poll two days later. Enough people voted for it. Number six is She Said. Mm-hmm. Wow. It, uh, very impressive that it got that kind of showing with a late edition. Number five is After Sun. Yeah. Yes. Paul Mescal. I mean, come on. I know. Uh, yes. <laughs> you guys watched that trailer for God's Creatures this week, too? Uh, d- yes. You <laughs> might have watched it repeatedly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that got pretty good notices over at Cannes as well. I'm curious to see if that's going to be anything for Emily Watson or not in Best Actress, most of all. Yeah. I mean, I would watch it also for her because I love her as well. Absolutely. Yeah, she's great. Number four, a decision was made to choose decision to leave. Yeah. <laughs> Number three, we're not blocking out that white noise. It's white noise at number three, <laughs> which, man, you want to talk about a movie that I think could go either way this year? <laughs> yeah. Either It's going to be heralded as like his greatest accomplishment because it's so different than anything he's done before, or it's going to be, yo, buddy, just stick to your wheelhouse. This, this was not it. <laughs> Yeah, we will see. (laughs) I mean, the Venice and Nif opening slots, though, do give me a certain level of confidence. It makes me uh, it makes me very mad that Greta Gerwig's name in this film is Babette and not Barbara for Barbie. (laughs) Missed opportunity here. I'm reading this full description here, and that's just rude. (laughs) And number one and number two, by a difference of five votes. Number two is Triangle of Sadness, and number Ooh. one is Tar. Woohoo! Mm. The taste jumped yes. out right there. You know what I think it is? I think the fact that Tar is not going to TIFF, everyone that's like on the East Coast is like, I got to go to New York now and see yeah. Tar. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for voting on the poll last week, everybody. And then for this week's poll, you know, we've been asking over the last couple of weeks about Venice, about TIFF, about New York. Of course, we will have one for Telluride coming up soon. But for this week, I want to ask everyone, which movie set to not appear at one of the fall film festivals are you most looking forward to? So the rest of the year, movies that have not been announced for a single fall film festival yet. I say yet because you never know. But as of right now, what are you looking forward to? And if you don't say Babylon, you're wrong. (laughs) <laughs> I am very much looking forward to Babylon. Damien Chazelle is like the kind of filmmaker I will jump off a cliff for. I will follow that man to the ends of the earth. Uh, I, got, I got to tell you all, there is a part of me that, you know, I mean, listen, it's James Cameron. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I definitely like to me, the two obvious ones that are probably going to be at the top of this list are Avatar The Way of Water and Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Like, I feel like Without a doubt, those are going to be placed very high, and I am very much looking forward to them. But even outside of those, I think maybe the one I'm really looking forward to is Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Visually, it looks absolutely stunning, and I'm a huge fan of del Toro as well, so that's at the top of my list for me. 
And say, in addition to what Josh just said, Avatar and Black Panther, particularly in in terms of a theatrical experience, those two are right up there for me as well. And I'm curious about see how they run. Yeah, Yeah. I love the trailer for that. Saoirse Ronan looks like she's having so much fun in it. Yeah, I just saw the uh, trailer in theaters for the first time the other day. And I was like, oh, man, this is about to be so fun. If they pull it off very, very well. (laughs) And it comes out soon, too. It comes out like in three weeks. Yeah, so excited for that one. And the cast itself is great. But Saoirse Ronan, similar to Kate Blanchett, to me, she has not missed either. So and she yeah. looks so delightful in this great comedic turn. So I'm yeah. really excited to see what she does with that role. I'm just throwing this out there. I mean, it does come out September 16th. There is a world where that does have a world premiere also at Telluride because it would I mean, it would be playing just a few days before it comes out. But at the same time, eh, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised, uh, you know, but even if it doesn't. I, I echo everything that you guys just said. I mean, Sam Rockwell also is like the kind of actor who is so good at what he does that he can make anyone that he's acting opposite look good so that when he's paired up with someone of the caliber of Saoirse Ronan's uh, talent, he doesn't even need to work hard to make her look good. I think they're just a winning pair at that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm and uh, speaking of looking good, uh, Harris Dickinson is also in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm also very excited to see I Want to Dance with Somebody. Yes. I- I'm kind of I'm interested to see Naomi Aki take the role and just listen to incredible Whitney Houston music for two hours, however long the film ends up being. I know that, you know, there's a lot of opinions out there on screenwriter Anthony McCartan, but the guy knows how to write an Oscar winning role yeah. or an Oscar nominated role. So, yeah, my, my expectations for that one are pretty high as a result. Yeah, he's got he's got a lot of winners under his belt here. I'm seeing the theory of everything. Darkest Tower, Bohemian Rhapsody. Yes, sir. Yep, And two popes, you know, which got two acting nominations. Yeah. And that was was his best screenplay yet. Uh, Yeah, I probably would say so. Um, I would also say that another one I'm looking forward to is spoiler alert. The hero dies, which was a movie that. I feel like I only just recently started hearing more information about I It wasn't really on my radar, but uh, I am very much now interested in checking that one out. Yeah, I was just reading a little bit about it actually the other day. And um, yeah, it looks like it looks like it'll probably be a very heart wrenching story. <laughs> yeah, I'm expecting to cry. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I wish I could. I wish I could say Halloween ends. But based Oof. on the previous film, <laughs> Nadia, yeah. evil dies tonight. Dies tonight. <laughs> I mean, but does it? Does evil die tonight? I don't know. Can we'll we ask uh, them again? <laughs> Maybe it will. This one. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I love how I love Halloween. I love that first one. It's hold a special place in my heart. So maybe they'll they'll wrap it up, you know, in a good way. But I wish I could muster up excitement for that one. Yeah, I'm going in with very low expectations, lower than ever before, so much so that if it doesn't impress me, then you know it's going to be god-awful at that point. All right, well, head on over to the polls page, nextbestpicture.com, and cast a vote there. Let us know which movie set not to appear at one of the fall film festivals you are most looking forward to before the end of the year. And now, our trailer this week, we are discussing the new film from... I apologize in advance for this saying. 
Oscar winner Peter Farrelly's the greatest beer run ever. Multiple Oscar winner Peter Farrelly, by the way. <laughs> Josh, just rub it in salt into the wound. My God. Hey, I predicted both of those Oscar wins, so I'll I'll take solace in that. <laughs> uh, the movie's set to have its world premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival. It will be coming to theaters and Apple TV Plus on September 30th. If it stars Zac Efron, Russell Crowe, and Bill Murray, let's talk about the trailer for the greatest beer run ever. Are you ready? What are we doing? We're gonna run for our lives. I'm Chicky Donahue, and I am not supposed to be in Vietnam. Hey, get your ass out of bed, you lazy bum. Look at you, sleeping your life away. Look at these scumbags. You're embarrassing yourself, and you're embarrassing your family. Do these protesters not know that our soldiers see that on TV? I'd like to go over to Vietnam, track down all the boys in the neighborhood, and give them a beer. I could do that. Do what? Bring him beer. He's not serious. He's hammered. Look at him. The man's stone sober. That's his fifth beer, maybe. Tops. I'm going to Vietnam, and I'm bringing a beer! Yeah. Okay, I, I say this knowing full well that I have been not the biggest supporter or fan of Peter Fairley's last film. And I got to admit, this trailer didn't necessarily rub me the wrong way. I'm, like, I'm mixed on it. Like, I... I you know, there's a part of me that wishes I could just come forward and be like, oh, I don't like this, you know, and because I feel like that's how everybody is. But the way it's presented here and the style of it all, I mean, it doesn't look outright horrible to me. Not from this particular first look at it. I can see the potential for it to go very wrong. Sure. You know, just the premise itself, the way that it is set up is already kind of weird about like this very pro-American sentiment in Vietnam. Like, I... I get that, but also, too, like, just the premise alone of this guy thinking that he's doing good by bringing beer to people fighting a war in Vietnam. I'm glad that the trailer, like, kind of calls out, A, how ridiculous that is, and B, like, yeah, dude, you're bringing us beer, so fucking what? We're putting our lives on the line. Like, what you're doing is, like, very kind of childish compared to what we're doing. And it does seem like the film will reckon with that a little bit, and so... You know, that put me that put me at ease. Like, it's not as silly and goofy as I thought it was going to be before I saw the trailer. Yeah, I, yeah. I did appreciate that it kind of had those moments where it's like, yeah, no, this isn't a joke. Like, you just running around with a can of beer and screaming, here's a beer, everybody. It's not the it's not the vibe for the place that we are currently in. So I do like that they put they put that in there. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I kind of watched it too. Also not really sure where to land on it. I'll still watch it. I mean, I'm still, I'm going to give it a chance, um, and see what it's like. So I guess we will save our criticism for the podcast, for the podcast. (laughs) I'm also just like not the biggest fan of Zac Efron as an actor. Like, I don't think I've ever been impressed with a single performance that he's ever given. Wow. High school musical hater over here. Mm, Matt. Yeah. I was going to say he's pretty good in hairspray. I do like him in that movie. You know, I think the closest I've ever come is Extremely Vile or whatever that long title was. Oh, God. No. Oh, right, yeah. I did not like that movie, though. No, I didn't like the movie, but I thought he was good in it. Uh, but other than that, I mean, yeah, like he's just not an actor that necessarily excites me. But, you know, he's charismatic. He's got the leading man look to him. You know, he... I don't know. Listen, at the end of the day, I like I said, I can't like come forward and say, oh, my God, this looks atrocious. I hate it. Kill it with fire. Because it's honestly, 
you know, I'm going to wait until I see it to have such strong feelings. I also am not watching this trailer and thinking, wow, that looks better than I expected. Holy shit. I cannot wait to watch it. I'm just like really in the middle indifferent. Yeah. 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 For me, it looks pretty much how I could have imagined it to to look kind of hitting all the the same beats that I thought. I, I do think going back to what Josh was saying that we might see a lot of criticism for it later on just based on the premise alone. So I do think it will open up to that. But at this point, I don't have any strong feelings one way or another about it. It just seems okay. And I don't have very much expectation for it. You know who I actually think, and you know, this is like a very stealthy prediction on my part, but the person in the trailer that actually stood out to me was Russell Crowe. Mm-hmm. I'm not even saying that from like an Oscar prediction standpoint, but there's something about his presence from what we briefly saw in this where I'm wondering, does he have a juicy enough role that he might actually surprise with a pretty decent performance in this? Maybe. I mean, to be honest, I find myself very fascinated by Russell Crowe these days. I feel like he has <laughs> embraced becoming just like a character actor. And Same. Yeah. He's just giving these really interesting performances like <laughs> recently. And I'm just... I'm so fascinated now whenever he shows up in a project and that is definitely a thing that is interesting me. And I do think this movie has the potential to be a really big crowd pleaser. And I don't know how far in an Oscar race that will take it, but I could recognize some things like whatever you want to say about Green Book. If you saw it with an audience, you know how well it worked for people. And this looks like it has the potential to do the same, honestly. Yeah, I'm not going to discount that. And even if I don't personally like it, you know, there's always something to be said for how well a movie works for the masses. I mean, Green Book is in the top like IMDb 250 of all time. Yeah. And let me tell you, I remember seeing Green Book in theaters, which that movie came out the same year as Avengers Infinity War. And it was like the exact same reaction from the audience. Same. Uh, It was insane to me. I've never, ever seen a crowd over the age of 65 react like that ever in my life. It was crazy. I mean, that's when I knew this movie was going to do some damage because people really loved it. And I think that the greatest beer run ever could do the same. It it looks like it has the potential to be in that same tone for a general audience. But but and not to you know pull out a pun here, it does seem like the knives are out for this particular <sighs> movie because of Green Book. So Green Book, I think, worked for people because of the surprise factor, whereas now I do think that people are gearing up to immediately hate this one and not give it a fair shake from the critical side of things. Now, granted, if the audience responds another way, it could produce a very interesting result where, I mean, you know, last last year alone, Don't Look Up getting a Best Picture nomination despite the critical bashing it received. I mean, who knows what could happen, right? So, yeah, also, sometimes it doesn't this, matter. It's got Apple behind it. So, could they repeat, get a best picture win for oh. both Peter, Peter Fairley and Apple again winning? Oh, my gosh. I will say this despite how I feel about like him as a screenwriter, I actually do like that he upped his directorial style with Green Book and now it looks like this as well. To where, yes, it's a glossy look, but I much prefer it to you know, kind of the more standard comedy look of, you know, things that were like shot on film in the, in the 90s and in, in that uh in that genre. Uh, but that's just a personal preference of mine. That's all. <laughs> 
I certainly would say um, you could look at this movie and maybe not guess that it was from the director of Dumb and Dumber. Yeah. <laughs> I was just about to say that unfortunately, Dumb and Dumber is literally my family's favorite movie of all time. <laughs> I unfortunately have a little bit of heart to give him. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> <laughs> but the love ends there, especially when you have shallow hell stuck on you. Oh god. <laughs> Me, myself, and Irene all within like year after year. Actually, those like three were like pretty much within like the same year. So I will be seeing this at TIFF. I I'm not gonna I'm not gonna head into it with the intention of hating it. I'm gonna have an open mind, as I always try to do. And we'll see how it plays, you know? We'll see how it plays for the audience. We'll see, you know, how I feel about it at the end of it all. I mean, the, here's the thing that, you know, like I said, for better or worse, no matter how you feel, at the end of the day, this is a follow-up film to a Best Picture winner from a director who won, as Josh said, multiple Oscars. We gotta take this somewhat seriously when we're talking about predictions for this upcoming year. Just is what it is. Yeah. You sound so defeated saying all of that, Matt. I think it's very funny. <laughs> I'm going to be seeing it at two. <laughs> I'm going to go see it with yeah. open eyes. Now, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. The way to instantly make the audience at TIFF love this movie is if they all if they give us a Paps Blue Ribbon, like before oh, the movie starts. <laughs> give me about 10 mm. or so, and then let me write a very glowing review. <laughs> I don't know, but I don't if you give me past blue ribbon before a movie, that does not endear me to your family. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just not accepting it. I'm just walking out before it even starts. <laughs> Isn't that what he has in the trailer, though? Isn't that what he's like handing out to people? Is Paps blue ribbon? It looks uh, probably. Like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not a very good beer. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, like I said, that'll be premiering at TIFF, and then also coming to Apple TV Plus in theaters on September 30th, if not soon after. So. There will definitely be this uh, small gap of, what, two weeks in between? That's another thing, too, that also like jumps out at me, though, is the release date. I think if they had more confidence in this as an awards player, they would be releasing it later. Well, we'd look back to Coda from last year. But that was such a surprise, even to them. <laughs> they didn't know that movie was going to take off the way that it did. And if they did, they're lying. <laughs> yeah, you never know what happened. All right. Are you guys ready to find out what you all did for the 2012 MVP Film Awards? Oh, boy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I've teased it enough. And now we come to this. Here we go. <laughs> all right. The next Best Picture team voted on the winners for the 2012 MVP Film Awards, putting an end to our 2012 retrospective. We've done all of our podcast reviews. The community have announced their winners. And now here are ours. Starting off with Best Overlooked Film. These are movies that did not receive a single Oscar nomination in 2012, and the nominees are End of Watch, Holy Motors, Killing Them Softly, Magic Mike, and The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Okay. I imagine Perks probably won. You know, it is the Best Picture nominee amongst this group, so not a bad call there, Josh, because the runner-up is Holy Motors, Mm -hmm. and the winner is The Perks of Being a Wallflower. And can I just say really quick... I'm very ashamed that we did not vote for Holy Motors and Best International Feature Film even as a nominee, but I love that it was the runner-up here. So I want to yeah. believe that we, like, rallied to it 
in this category. <laughs> so we did what we could. Yeah. Best sci-fi horror film. Nominees are The Cabin in the Woods, Cloud Atlas, Looper, Prometheus, Sinister. I think well, maybe Cabin in the Woods for yeah, this one. I feel like that. Yeah, I like feel like either that or Looper, even though for me it is no question Cloud Atlas, but considering how this team really let me down on that front. Wow. There's such shade. Let us know, Josh. Let us know how you <laughs> feel today. <laughs> well, also considering the screenplay nomination for Cabin in the Woods, leaning towards that for this for this category. And you know what? This is the last time that we're going to talk about like these films, you know, at least to this extent, unless we do reviews for them. And I'll just say that Cabin in the Woods, Looper, Prometheus, uh, not Prometheus, sorry, Cloud Atlas, great screenplays there all around. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> all right. The runner up is Looper. OK. And the winner is The Cabin in the Woods. Yep, I figured that would be the top two. Josh, don't be salty. Cabin in the Woods is a fine winner. I like Cabin in the Woods. Those are very good movies. All right. Best comedy film. 21 Jump Street, Moonrise Kingdom, Pitch Perfect, Silver Linings Playbook, Ted. Come on, Moonrise. (laughs) (laughs) The winner is The Greatest Beer Run Ever. Yes. Um, maybe Silver Linings Playbook makes it up in there. Yeah, I'm either that or Moonrise Kingdom. Yeah. The runner-up is Moonrise Kingdom. Mm. Okay. <laughs> and the winner for Best Comedy Film is 21 Jump Street. Oh, I heard wow. you with this. <laughs> yeah. That is a good pick, though. I'll take that. That that movie makes me pee my pants all the time. Genuinely (laughs) shocked that this happened, for the record. I thought for sure Silver Linings Playbook was going to win this. Didn't even place as the runner-up. I surprise you every once in a while. For best action film, The Avengers, The Dark Knight Rises, The Hunger Games, The Raid Redemption, and Skyfall. It would seem like Skyfall being the best picture nominee. Yeah. But y'all better voted for the Raid Redemption, I say. (laughs) (sighs) Either Hunger Games or Skyfall. All right. The runner-up is the Raid Redemption. Ah, there you go. And the winner is Skyfall. Yeah. Raid being the runner-up is pretty nice. I agree. That's great. For Best International Feature Film, nominees are Amore, No, Oslo, August 31st, A Royal Affair, and Rust and Bone. I think I'm going <laughs> this. Yeah, it's got to yeah. be more. I mean, the question is not what won. The question is what's the runner-up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was also going to make a joke. No, not to be uh, <laughs> confused for nope and any other not <laughs> film. All right, here we go. The runner-up is... Oslo, August 31st. And the winner is Amor. That's interesting. I thought Rust and Bone was going to be the runner-up. Same. Mm. I'm really happy to see that Oslo made its way up there. I think whatever passion got at the nomination also translated over into voting for the winner as well. Yeah, and also I would assume that Amor was pretty far ahead at number one, so number two was pretty distant. I'll tell you which categories had the biggest... The biggest spread. (laughs) 
Best Documentary Feature Film. The nominees are How to Survive a Plague, The Imposter, The Invisible War, Queen of Versailles, and Searching for Sugar Man. I don't even know what this one <laughs> Maybe I feel, Searching for Sugar Man? Yeah, I feel like we probably just defaulted to that, but I would love for Queen of Versailles. That is my... That would be my pick out of this group, but I feel like we just went for Searching for Sugar Man. The runner-up is The Imposter. Mm, okay. Which I love, for the record. Oh, yeah, I really like that one. And the winners in our first tie are mm, Searching for Sugar Man and Queen of Versailles. Nice. Oh, yeah. Nice. Oh, Queen of Versailles is so good. Yeah, it's excellent. For Best Animated Feature Film, Brave, Frankenweenie, Paranorman, The Secret World of Arietti, and Wreck-It Ralph. I'm just so happy that Secret World of Arietti is in here. Like, I could, I have no other <laughs> issues with the category now because we got this in. I agree. Like, <laughs> it was one of those things where the nomination there is to win, and I don't even care yeah. if it places. <laughs> yeah, I'm just glad that it's here. It's how I feel if RRR gets nominated for Best International Feature Film. Yeah. <laughs> like, you don't even need to win the category. If you get the nomination, it's a happy day. <laughs> oh, yes. The runner-up in this category is Brave. Ooh. And the winner is Wreck-It Ralph. Okay. Ooh. In my opinion, I think that should have won the category that year. The Like, the Oscar. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's very close between it and Frank and Weenie. But you got that Tim Burton love, though. Yes, and I also think Frank and Weedy is probably the last good movie he made, so it's <laughs> forever that distinction as well. Well, hope, you know, soon you'll be getting a whole television series from him, so. Yeah, yeah very excited for that one, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Have they said that that's going to premiere on a Wednesday? I fucking better. <laughs> that's all I have to say. Best visual effects. The Avengers, The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey, Life of Pi, Prometheus, and Snow White and the Huntsman. This this seems like another one where the question isn't who won, but who was the runner-up. So I will say this. This was the biggest spread. Yeah. Literally every single person on the staff voted for the winner at number one, and there was (laughs) one outlier who voted for the runner-up at number one, immediately disqualifying all the others because we do this by (laughs) preferential ballot. So that other number one film instantly became the runner-up. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> the winner is Life of Pi, and the yes. runner up, congratulations to whoever you are who voted this number one, is Prometheus. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I think that's appropriate. I do too, yeah. which I just think that they, it's so funny because, like, what if they voted for The Hobbit in an unexpected journey? Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, for best sound mixing, nominees are Argo, Life of Pi, Lincoln. Skyfall, Zero Dark Thirty. Hmm. Kind of feeling Skyfall for this one. It did do well here with the community winning this category. Hmm. Yeah, I think I'll say that too. But you know what, though? We gave it the runner-up. The winner is Zero Dark Thirty. Nice. I was really hoping that would happen. Yes. Great choice. For the category for best sound editing... Django Unchained, Life of Pi, Prometheus, Skyfall, and Zero Dark Thirty. I feel like it's between Skyfall and Zero Dark Thirty again, uh, but maybe we flipped it this time. Josh, do you have a crystal ball? 
Runner-up is Zero Dark Dirty, and the winner is Skyfall. <laughs> Honestly, that should have been how it went down at the Oscars, in my opinion. I don't disagree with you on that, and I find it hilarious that, I mean, granted, we all know the difference between sound editing and sound mixing over here at MVP, that we could do a flip like that. Yeah. <laughs> For best original song, who did that to you from Django Unchained? Safe and Sound from The Hunger Games, Suddenly from Les Miserables, Skyfall from Skyfall, and Everybody Needs a Best Friend from Ted. Definitely going to be Skyfall. It better be Skyfall. (laughs) Second biggest gap between winner and runner-up behind the visual effects category. The winner is Skyfall, and for the two people that voted for the runner-up to make it the runner-up, Safe and Sound from The Hunger Games. Wow. Best original score, we have Anna Karenina, Cloud Atlas, The Dark Knight Rises, Life of Pi, and Lincoln. This should be Cloud Atlas, but I don't have faith in that. (laughs) Where is Beasts? Yeah. Where is it? What did you all do? Truly (laughs) baffling. (laughs) All right. The runner-up is Anna Karenina. I'm so pleased by that. Such a great score. I know that you're pleased, Nadia, but I think Josh is about to be more pleased. The winner is Cloud Atlas. Yes! (laughs) All of the the people on the team that were disappointed, we all rallied to get it at least this win. (laughs) Josh will forgive us for one thing today. Yes. (laughs) Best production design, Anna Karenina, Les Miserables, Lincoln, The Master, Moonrise Kingdom. Mm, I'm going to say we did Anna Karenina. Uh, that's kind of a toss-up. Yeah, either Anna Karenina, maybe Moonrise Kingdom, just because of the Wes Anderson flair. <laughs> the runner-up is Moonrise Kingdom. Mm. And the winner is Anna Karenina. Oh, yeah. wow. Great. I was a little surprised to see Moonrise Kingdom as the runner-up here, but I agree, Emma. You said it best. It's the Wes Anderson factor. Mm-hmm. Best makeup and hairstyling. Anna Karenina. Cloud Atlas, Les Miserables, Lincoln, and Men in Black 3. Men in Black 3, baby. (laughs) That's such great work in that movie, too. I mean, Rick Baker, you know. I would not be upset if it won the category. I don't think it is, but I'm just glad that it's here. The runner-up is Anna Karenina. And the winner... Josh, two wins. Cloud Atlas. Yes! (laughs) For the category for Best Film Editing... We have Argo, Cloud Atlas, Lincoln, Skyfall, Zero Dark Dirty. Pretty good category overall, I would say, too. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Mm. I'm feeling Argo. I'm thinking maybe Skyfall or Zero Dark Thirty, just to randomly put things out there. <laughs> I think it's between those two as well. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to throw you all for a loop right now. The runner-up is Cloud Atlas. <laughs> Wow. The winner is Zero Dark Dirty. Yes. Very happy about that. Good choice. Best costume design. We have Anna Karenina, Django Unchained, Les Miserables, Lincoln, Snow White, and The Huntsman. Well, this is obviously Anna Karenina. (laughs) Well, when you say it like that, Josh, runner-up is Django Unchained. The winner is Anna Karenina. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I knew that. Even though I put Django at number one, but number two for me was Anna Karenina. I did the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Preferential ballot. Best cinematography time. 
We have Anna Karenina, Life of Pi, Lincoln, The Master, Skyfall. Skyfall. Yes. The runner-up is Life of Pi. And the winner is Skyfall. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Made me sweat a little bit over here. <laughs> and the second winner in a tie <gasps> what? is the master. Oh, I'm so happy about that. Ooh. You like what I did there? <laughs> oh, now I'm sweating even more. <laughs> Thank God the AC just turned on. Heads up, there are more ties to come. Just letting you all know. Yes. Well, and you know what? The master was my number one. My number two was Skyfall. Best original screenplay. We have Amor, The Cabin in the Woods, Django Unchained, The Master, and Moonrise Kingdom. Hmm. It's actually kind of a very good category. I think. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I'm kind of feeling The Master on this one. Yeah, I think either that or Moonrise. Yeah, I was about to say that too. The runner-up is The Cabin in the Woods. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> the winner is The Master. All right. Ah. I will never say no to The Cabin in the Woods placing anywhere. <laughs> so, wow, yeah. <laughs> runner-up in original screenplay, that is something. I mean, that movie is so, so entertaining. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would, honestly, I think that's like top five, like, favorite horror movies I've ever seen just for the sheer originality of its concept alone. Mm-hmm. Best Adapted Screenplay, we have Argo, Beasts of the Southern Wild, Lincoln, The Perks of Being a Wallflower, and Silver Linings Playbook. I think it'll be Perks or Silver Linings Playbook for this one. And even Beasts could maybe make an impact, too. Yeah. The runner-up is Beasts of the Southern Wild. Mm. And the winner is Silver Linings Playbook. All right. Huh. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Josh. Oh, <God>. What? <laughs> Give me your hand. It's okay. Come here. Come here. It's okay. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> it's going to be okay. Uh-huh. It's going to be okay. Because Lincoln tied for the win with Silver okay. Lining's playbook. Uh, All right. Have- I mean, <laughs> fuck you, Matt, but... <laughs> <laughs> But yes, I'm at least happy about that. (laughs) I love the way you're announcing these ties. Like you're just letting everything settle. And then that voice comes on. (laughs) (laughs) For best debut director, we have Drew Goddard for The Cabin in the Woods. Jason Moore for Pitch Perfect. Rich Moore for Wreck-It Ralph. Lorene Scafaria for Seeking a Friend for the End of the World, and Ben Zeitlin for Beasts of the Southern Wild. This has to be Ben Zeitlin, right? Yes, Ben Zeitlin is the winner of the category. I will not leave you all in suspense. (laughs) (laughs) The runner-up, though, is Drew Goddard for The Cabin in the Woods. Considering how well it's been doing so far, I pretty much figured he would be the runner-up. Where was that Best Picture nomination? (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm just glad that it's doing well. Best breakout performance, we have Dane DeHaan for Chronicle, Dwight Henry, Beasts of the Southern Wild, Scoop McNary for Killing Them Softly, Saraj Sharma for Life of Pi, and Rebel Wilson for Pitch Perfect. Probably Dwight Henry, I would think. Although, like, I like all these performances. Yeah, everyone's great here. I have a feeling about McNary possibly being a... Yeah, we'll love that. I love him in that movie. 
runner-up is Scoot McNary for Killing Them Softly. And the winner is Dwight Henry nice. for Beasts of the oh, Southern yeah. Wild. Yeah. I like that top two. For mm-hmm. best voice performance, we have John C. Riley and Wrecked Ralph, Kelly McDonald for Brave, Elaine Stritch for Powered Norman, Sarah Silverman, Wrecked Ralph, and Alan Tudyk for Wrecked Ralph. Someone from Wrecked Ralph will win this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably John C. Riley, I imagine. The runner up is Alan Tudyk for Wrecked Ralph. Okay, I like that a lot. And the winner is Sarah Silverman for Wreck-It Ooh. Ralph. Okay. Get wrecked, Ralph. <laughs> Best youth performance. Jared Gilman for Moonrise Kingdom. Kara Hayward for Moonrise Kingdom. Tom Holland for The Impossible. Logan Lerman for The Perks of Being a Wallflower. And Quivenjane Wallace for Beasts of the Southern Wild. Hey, how can you not vote number one for Wallace here? <laughs> yeah. The runner-up is Logan Lerman for The Perks of Being a Wallflower, and the winner is Quivenjane Wallace for Beasts of the Southern Wild. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm surprised that Lerman did not get a Best Actor nomination from us. Knowing the people that we have on the team and their love for this film. <laughs> yeah, that actually very much surprised me that he didn't show up in that lineup. But yeah, I, I think if it had not been for Wallace, he probably would have won here. But it's when she's here, it's hard not to go for her. Yeah. It's a good category all around. The Moonrise Kingdom, oh, yeah. Kids, Tom Holland is great in The Impossible. Mm-hmm. Best Supporting Actor. Javier Bardem for Skyfall, Leonardo DiCaprio for Django Unchained, Dwight Henry, Beasts of the Southern Wild, Tommy Lee Jones for Lincoln, and Philip Seymour Hoffman for The Master. I hope it's Javier Bardem because, God, I love him in that movie. <laughs> I think it's Hoffman. The runner-up is Dwight Henry for Beasts of the Southern Wild. Mm. And the winner is Philip Seymour Hoffman for The Master. Great performance. Agreed. May he rest in peace. God, it makes me so mad. Best Supporting Actress. Amy Adams for The Master. Samantha Barks, Les Miserables. Sally Field for Lincoln. Anne Hathaway, Les Miserables. And Emma Watson for The Perks of Being a Wallflower. I actually don't really know what we did i feel like we could go in very different directions here yeah either we did anne hathaway or we did my queen emma watson (laughs) or somebody else the runner-up is samantha barks for les miserables wow the winner her co-star anne hathaway for les miserables interesting (laughs) yeah uh best actor Bradley Cooper for Silver Linings Playbook, Daniel Day-Lewis for Lincoln, Jean-Louis Trignon for Amour, Joaquin Phoenix for The Master, and Denzel Washington for Flight. Joaquin. (laughs) The runner-up is Daniel Day-Lewis for Lincoln, and the winner is Joaquin Phoenix for The Master. That's what I will always pretend his his Oscar win is for. (laughs) I'll always pretend it was like a win for this, her, Walk the Line. Like, it was just like a series of all these great performances over many, many years, just like kind of culminating and, you know, the stars aligning, you know? Yeah, well, that's what usually the male acting winners are. (laughs) Right, right. Very, very rarely does it actually go to the best performance of that year. Uh, Yeah. Best Actress, Jessica Chastain for Zero Dark Dirty. Marion Cotillard for Rust and Bone, Jennifer Lawrence, Silver Linings Playbook, Emmanuel Riva for Amour, and Quivenjane Wallace for Beasts of the Southern Wild. 
really happy to see Marianne Cotillard here. I feel like it's going to go to Chastain. Yeah, that's my prediction, too. The runner-up is Jennifer Lawrence for Silver Lenny's Playbook. The winners in a tie mm. are Jessica Chastain for Zero Dark Dirty and Emmanuel Riva for yes. War. Oh, nice. I feel like that is basically film Twitter right there. <laughs> <laughs> and then watch. There will be, be people that will say, well, you know what, though? If Jennifer Lawrence was nominated for The Hunger Games... <laughs> <laughs> Best Ensemble Django Unchained Lincoln The Master The Perks of Being a Wallflower And Silver Linings Playbook Good set of nominees here, I have to say Yeah Yeah, I don't disagree I, I like this group a lot I like the gathering in Silver Linings Playbook I think everybody works very well there Also, just Lincoln For the sheer roster of names Yeah <laughs> they must have gone by individual performances for this one. The runner-up is the master. Mm. The winner are <laughs> Silver Linings Playbook and Lincoln. Wow, we we oh, both got you. what we wanted. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's happy. Yay, we win. And then now two categories left here. The category for Best Director, we have Wes Anderson for Moonrise Kingdom, Catherine Bigelow for Zero Dark Dirty, Ang Lee for Life of Pi, Steven Spielberg for Lincoln, and Paul Thomas Anderson for The Master. And I love that we have both Andersons in here. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think PTA won. Mm-hmm. The runner-up is Catherine Bigelow for Zero Dark Dirty. Okay. And the winner is Paul Thomas Anderson for The Master. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's a great movie. Wonderful direction. <laughs> I am not salty one bit. It's my favorite film of that year. So, and I love that Bigelow is the runner-up at least. Yeah, yeah, I love that too. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting because I just feel like in that category that year, amongst our team, that is, there just doesn't seem to be like a lot of like passion behind the names. You know, just in general, that were like in the Oscar conversation that year. I feel like everyone that was not nominated were the people that like we all individually would have rallied behind. And like PTA is one of those names. Bigelow is one of those names. I think the only what director nominee that we like feel any kind of affection towards would probably be what Hanukkah and Zeitlin. Yeah. (laughs) Who did make our lineup. (laughs) I I know it's it's just very interesting how this whole category I think is in general versus like. I don't know. Like, I, I went through, like, our director lineups with what you all submitted, and it just was, I don't know, just very all over the place. Yeah, I think that's how you get the director lined up at the Oscars and with us, is that it just feels like there were a lot of good efforts that year, but it was very spread out. Well, the 10 nominees for Best Picture, our final category, are Amore, Argo, Jangle Unchained, Lincoln, The Master, Moonrise Kingdom, The Perks of Being a Wallflower, Silver Linings Playbook, Skyfall, and Zero Dark Dirty. You know, like we might do the master, but I'm I'm not sure. You know, we do a preferential ballot for these, so there's room for wild things to happen. Maybe a tie. I can tell you right now there is no tie. Oh god, I, <laughs> I could not handle a tie in Best Picture. <laughs> well, maybe Zero Dark Thirty might pull this off. Was runner-up and director. The runner-up for Best Picture 
for the 2012 MVP Film Award goes to Silver Linings Playbook. Okay. And the winner is The Master. All right. The Master wins six MVP Film Awards. Skyfall right behind with four. Beasts of the Southern Wild and Zero Dark Dirty with three each. And kind of interesting for the master to do that well when we did not do a podcast review of it. So it was still very present in people's minds, even though we didn't really talk about it. I think like just the fact that Joaquin and Philip Seymour Hoffman are so goddamn good in it, you know, winning that category. The cinematography win surprised me the most. Um, I kind of expected the screenplay win, but I wasn't sure. Yeah. And then director, um, I was not expecting that at all, either. I thought that, you know, I, I actually thought Catherine Bigelow was going to win that from us. I did initially, but when that movie missed screenplay, I realized that support for it was not universal, but it did win editing, which is interesting. Yeah, no, Zero Dark Dirty did pretty well across the board when you think about it. I mean, even despite the screenplay miss, like it got wins for actress film editing and sound mixing so yeah which oh editing and sound mixing i'm so happy that it won those yeah agreed cloud atlas too winning uh two awards josh yeah well you're given a little bit of forgiveness (laughs) i mean anna karenina won two uh lincoln won two silver linings playbook won two jesus christ 21 Jump Street even won an award. Yeah. (laughs) That was awesome. Absolutely. Well, it's been a fun retrospective. It was very interesting, especially because I quickly realized upon, you know, going through this Oscar year pretty exhaustively that I look back on this year, like this crop of films and just like the films that were nominated and what won. And I realized very quickly I didn't have like a lot of real affection towards the actual Oscar nominees. Yeah, I mean, even the year itself, to me, I found interesting going back on it because at the time I remember thinking like, oh, there's so many good movies and they're just not all represented by the Oscars. But honestly, a lot of the films I went back to, I didn't love quite as much. And I don't think it's a bad year, but it is it is not quite as strong as I initially thought. That was very interesting going back and looking at some of these movies that came out in 2012. Yeah. Yeah, we will post the full lineup of winners for these on the website uh, tomorrow. But let's end this week with some questions from the fans. Let's see what the MVP film community had to ask us, and we'll call it a week here. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, Yeah. right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? (laughs) The Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Tripodis. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. 
You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. James Scott, I keep gushing about it. Everyone on the team needs to make an effort to watch After Sun this fall film festival season. It is truly a masterpiece. Do any of you think it could gain awards traction from any voting bodies? I mean, it could, for sure. It just needs to get seen by people. I think it's going to be a little tough, only because Charlotte Wells, this is a directorial debut. Paul Mescal, God bless him. Like, I don't know if he has, like, the industry support yet because he's so new onto the scene still to rally people behind him. It, it does make me wonder, though, is this just a little film that could and maybe the passion is so great for it that it doesn't need any of that? I mean, look at something like Beasts of the Southern Wild that we just talked about, where that was a directorial debut with unknowns for the most part in the, in the leading roles and people just loved it. So if this movie has that where it's like it's just so undeniably loved by people and it's a number one film, sure. Yeah, I mean, it being a directorial debut, that means it has the potential to maybe clean up those categories at Critics Awards, which would help keep it in the conversation. Agreed. Benny Dawson with Better Call Saul triumphantly coming to an end recently. How do you think its star's career will continue to evolve within the film industry? I would love to see the incredible Rhea Seahorn lead a film sometime in the future. Co-sign to that idea. (laughs) Oh, yeah, completely agree. I mean, Bob Odenkirk has already been taking a lot of uh, supporting roles and even leading roles in things like Nobody over the last couple of years due to popularity with Better Call Saul. So I think he'll be fine. I am very excited to see Michael Mando and what goes on for him in the future. Giancarlo Esposito. I mean, the guy just pops up at films and TV all the time still. Yeah. Um, Patrick Fabian is the one that, uh, quite honestly, I like. I haven't seen much movement yet like in his career as a result of this show. But I'm hopeful that given... Um, his final appearance in the last season this year, that maybe some more offers will start coming his way. Yeah, I think just given the nature of his role in that show in particular, it would be interesting to see him, how he fares in a leading role in a film. You know which actor he reminds me of? Like, he like he could play these types of uh, of roles. Do you guys know uh, who Josh Lucas is? Oh, yeah. Yes. Like, uh, to me, he is so primed to be, like, the Josh Lucas character in, like, Ford v. Ferrari, you know? <laughs> I can see it. Yeah. Yeah. Manning Franks with Top Gun Maverick continuing to make all the money. And it's honestly become just such a cultural sensation at this point. The closer we get to the end of the year, you all know where I'm going with this. How likely is it that Maverick will walk away with a best picture nod? I'd say it's looking better and better every day. Yeah, I, I would say that. I mean, obviously, it still has some hurdles to clear. And I'm not saying like it's guaranteed a nomination, but making all that money does very much help it. And there's a few other things I think it needs to hit for me to fully believe it's going to happen. But I mean, just the very nature that it is the front runner to win best sound right now, actually that already makes me feel good about it being nominated for best picture. I completely agree. I think also too, people are underestimating the story and how much it's resonating with an older block of the Academy Mm -hmm. and just some of the themes that it speaks to about passing the torch is your time necessarily behind you and also like what's old is new again you know you have a leading man movie star that is something that's a rarity nowadays in popular filmmaking i I just think this movie is checking off a lot of boxes for a demographic of the academy that normally we 
bash here on the show for being a little too uh, conventional in their choices. But this is one I think that a lot of people would get behind. Yeah. And I think this is different from like the blockbusters that were contending last year for Best Picture. This feels like it has the craft. It has the story behind it. It and it has the money, too. I, I feel like those are really a good combination of elements to have if you're a big blockbuster trying to get a Best Picture nomination. Richard Houlihan, who is a filmmaker whose movies are deemed too unconventional, unusual, or eccentric to be nominated for Oscars, but goddammit they deserve an honorary award for their body of work. For example, does the Pope of Trash, John Waters, deserve an honorary Oscar? Yes. I mean, absolutely. He definitely (laughs) deserves an honorary Oscar. (laughs) But a filmmaker that I would throw into that category, I mean, they already crossed off David Lynch for me. Yeah. So... Who is left beyond that? I don't know. Let me ask you this question. Do you think that I, – I, I doubt this would happen, but do you think with the recent announcement of his Parkinson's disease, do you think they would ever give one to Lars von Trier? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if their sympathy goes that far. <laughs> okay. Uh, would we count David Lowry? I mean, sure, but I don't think he's at that point yet. No, he's not like established, but like his movies are I don't know if they're ever really going to be the Academy's cup of tea. I mean, if we're if we're going to talk like that, then I might as well say Sam Levinson. (laughs) No, I wouldn't necessarily be. I'm I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm I'm making a joke. (laughs) Well, you know what? This is really like the weird filmmaker, but it's somebody that I actually do think would be worthy of an honorary Oscar, even though it will never happen, I don't think. Because it's never going to happen competitively. Honestly, I think Michael Bay would be a good choice. <laughs> because if you just think about, like, he is an auteur, he absolutely is, and his movies have made a ton of money for the industry. It is a full style that people recognize and are, dare I say, even inspired by. Like, yeah, I understand he's a divisive guy and in the movies and all that, but just in terms of the impact on the industry, I, I think that that would be an interesting candidate. I'm thinking about possibly Yorgos Lanthimos. Mm. Just with the success of The Favorite, maybe that has opened people up to what he's going to do next. And he will just continue doing films that, you know, are kind of strange, but also have that accessibility for, for voters. Maybe they'll give something to Christopher Nolan and be like, there, there, don't make stuff as confusing. <laughs> just, just have this for yourself. Yeah. Tell you what, I wish Ken Russell was still alive because I would say him. <laughs> yeah. The real DRLG, where do you all place Michelle Yeoh in your predictions for next year's Best Actress? Do you think all the recent publicity, receiving honors and such, and upcoming TV movie projects this year, especially with Avatar 2, could help her with her campaign? I mean, yes to the campaign aspect of it all. Uh, I do think that the field is currently open enough that I feel comfortable putting her in my predictions. However, I have her pretty low. I have her at number five. I am I am a little worried about her um, just because that movie came out so long ago. But I do think that, you know, that movie being brought back into the public consciousness uh, with an awards campaign and also to any other project she has going on where she'll be able to uh, speak to that more. Not to mention just the fact that this is a great way to acknowledge her long and illustrious career. 
Like, I feel good enough to put her in my five, but I do have her low at the time being. Pretty much the same. Like, I think the passion is there to get her in for sure, but that passion really does need to manifest. And I I need to see her get more than just like a Critics' Choice nomination. I'll, I'll put it that way. Yeah, I think just given the amount of films that are yet to come, just with these festivals as well, and just how much the category still has opportunity to really shape up. I, I do have her pretty low as well, but gosh, here's hoping she pulls it off. Oh, definitely deserves it. Yeah. Andreas Willemsen, what is a small, in quote, movie that isn't in people's minds at the moment that could sneak into the Oscar conversation after the fall film festivals? You know, Josh, you mentioned the inspection earlier. Maybe? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, that could possibly be one. I think also we were talking about the potential of spoiler alert the hero dies being a big tearjerker and if that tugs on people's emotions maybe that is a sleeper contender that could crash the party and we got to mention after sun too yeah i mean do you feel like that's one people aren't talking about though well i think it's small sure yeah yeah i guess in my mind i think small i mean like not on the radar necessarily sure sure i mean I mean, in terms of movies that like people are not talking about, I, I that's like tough because we talk about all of them. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, that that's the difficult thing. Yeah, it's tricky to say. So if I'm just going by the small criteria, I would probably say something like After Sun. Yeah, if we're talking just strictly that, then yeah, to me it's After Sun. Uh, Josie DeMarco, what will it take for an animated movie to win Best Picture or at least be a Best Picture contender? Uh, biasness to just completely go away. <laughs> Which I don't know when that will happen. Like, this is clearly a group of voters who predominantly thinks that animation is for kids. Yeah. That needs to change or completely go away in order for them to ever consider a movie coming close to a Best Picture win. Yeah. Also, too, I I feel like Pixar, you know, back in the mid-90s, being so new with the technology... You know, that run that they had in the years after, like all the way up until uh, Toy Story 3 in 2010, if there was ever going to be a time for a movie like of animation to actually rise up and contend for a win, I think, you know, we would have seen it happen during that period with either Wall-E up or Toy Story 3, but they didn't. So I almost feel like the opportunity has passed because now, in order for an animated film to ever be taken seriously at that level, it's either going to be decades into the future where perception has just changed so radically that it, that a film would even have a fighting chance, or there needs to be some sort of a groundbreaking technological breakthrough in the industry that just captivates the entire world. I feel like there really is this thing with the General Academy that if you don't see actors it's like they just sort of put it to the side i mean this is the same reason why documentaries also struggle in other categories as well it's like i don't see the actor then this is not like a real movie essentially which of course is you know bs but i feel like that's just a mentality that so many of those voters have and until you get rid of that biasness then it's really going to be difficult for an animated film to contend to win Best Picture, let me, to me, let alone even get nominated at this point. Uh, DTJ Cinema, A24 has one of the biggest catalogs they've ever had going into an awards season. Where do you expect they might throw their weight behind campaign-wise? 
Well, I can tell you right now, they are gearing up for everything everywhere all at once because they wholeheartedly recognize the passion for that movie. They know that that is a number one movie in terms of a ballot. So that's already there. I am kind of waiting on pins and needles to see what the reaction to the whale is going to be like at Venice. (laughs) And I am petrified of the discourse that will probably follow it on film Twitter. I almost get the sense that that could be film Twitter's villain this year. Mm, Maybe. I feel like there's just... It'll be interesting if it will be the villain, considering there's so much goodwill for Brendan Fraser, too, though. No, 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 I know that, but I just feel like... um, so here's the way I view it. I don't view it as like a Green Book, Three Billboards villain. I view it as a Zero Dark Thirty villain where the discourse surrounding it just kind of implodes in and of, uh, on itself. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, just from my early look at it, I'm not really predicting it to do much outside of the actors and maybe the screenplay anyway. So I feel like if that were to happen, that's what the result would be. And I'm just anticipating that anyway. <laughs> All right, and then I guess we'll end things off here uh, with Selma Linda, kind of similar to the A24 question just now. Um, What do you think is Netflix's main priority this year? Well, we keep assuming it's Bardo, right? On paper, yes, but I think that their strategy this year is to wait and see what happens as opposed to forcing people to accept one film like Aroma or Power of the Dog. I, I, I mean, the way that these are spread out right now with White Noise going to Venice and New York and Bardo only going to Venice and Telluride and then you have Glass Onion at TIFF, it's all over the place. So I think they're just going to have to put their ear to the ground and wait to hear what the audiences are telling them. And then that's when we'll start to see the campaigns shift. But on paper, Bardo makes the most sense given Alejandro's pedigree with the Academy. Yeah. Although, if you're going to judge by audiences, like, they could be the strongest for Knives Out. That would be very weird if that were to suddenly become their number one. It could be. But, you know, with a much buzzed about performance from Janelle Monet, possible screenplay nomination, who knows what else could come along with it. I mean, those nominations could start racking up for it. Maybe. I'm not saying it's contending for a win, but, I mean, Glass Onion has the chance to surpass uh, expectations, I think. I'm looking forward to it. Especially with that cast as well. All right. Well, that'll do it here for this week. Thank you so much to the MPP film community for sending in your questions as always. Emma Sasek, tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the internet. You can find me on Twitter at Emma underscore Sasek and Letterbox at Emma Sasek. Nadia Dalamonte. You can find me on Twitter at Nad Reviews and on Instagram at Earth to Films. Josh Parham. You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 308 of the Next Best Picture podcast. Um, I have some very exciting uh, things to say here. Uh, Number one, Emmy winner predictions coming soon to Next Best Series. Nadia and I will be recording that very shortly with a few others. So get ready to listen to that. Um, There are going to be some interesting scheduling (laughs) conflicts in september just due to the fall film festivals i haven't worked out exactly yet what i'm doing for certain film reviews and the main show and how we're going to like schedule everything but i want to let you all know that we're not taking any time off in fact uh, september is going to be not just a busy month for us with the fall film festivals but on september 1st uh for those that are in the know that is nbp's birthday we're celebrating six years on that day 
And that will also be the day before the Telluride Film Festival starts, a day after the Venice Film Festival begins as well. So right in the middle of those two festivals. And boy, oh boy, do I have a surprise for everyone on September 1st. So be on the lookout for that. I'm sure you'll notice it when you see it. And uh, thank you so much for your support. Uh, Really, just up until then and beyond, we couldn't do it without all of you. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get exclusive podcast content from us, including all of our 2012 retrospective reviews. Our retrospective is currently over at this time. Maybe there will be a review of The Master to come in the future. Who knows? We'll wait and see. But otherwise, you can get all of our 10 reviews that we just recently did, along with a whole other back catalog of other content as well. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.